Hello, it is time to read once again from the Sioux City Journal for today, Saturday, February 4th, 2023. My name is John Reef, and I'll be bringing you the news today. Here's what we'll be reading. I'll start with the weather, then do the mini editorial, then the front page stories, moving to the inside pages for more stories of local interest. At the 30-minute mark, we'll do the obituaries, and then we'll follow it up with some sports and feature stories as time allows, wrapping up with Dear Abby and then the weather one more time. Forecast for today, not as cold as it has been, a high of 36 degrees under partly cloudy skies, winds out of the south-southwest at 6 to 12 miles an hour. Clear to partly cloudy tonight, low of 25 and winds west-northwest at 7 to 14. Sunny to partly cloudy on Sunday, a high of 37 degrees and winds west-northwest at 6 to 12. 28 for the, the, uh, for the low on Sunday night. And then Monday, mostly uh, cloudy, well, cloudy most of the time, a high of 39 degrees, wind south-southwest at 6 to 12. Uh, clearing up on Monday night, low down to 25, and then sunny on Tuesday, high up to 40 degrees for Tuesday, winds out of the west at 7 to 14. Wednesday night, clear skies, a low of 19, and then partly sunny and bouncing back, going to be mild on Wednesday, a high of 44 degrees and winds east-southeast at 6 to 12 miles per hour. Moving now to the front page, and the mini-editorial today is by Dwayne Behrens of Sioux City. That's B-E-H-R-E-N-S. Dwayne Behrens of Sioux City writes this. The Department of Defense was recently audited to account for $3.5 trillion of its assets. The DOD could only account for 39% of its assets. Maybe they should check Biden's garage to see if he has a tank, howitzer, or Humvee sitting next to his Corvette. Dwayne Behrens wrote that of Sioux City. That's the mini. Front page story at the top, archiving Woodbury County history. It's called Mapping for the Future. Woodbury County Man Has Preserved Historical Maps. This by Jared McNett and Dateline Sioux City. At his desk in a corner of an office on the main level of the Woodbury County Courthouse, Ron Koch has history sitting out, or rather straightening out. A geographic information system analyst for more than 20 years, Koch says his day-to-day -day work involves maintaining and, and updating data for the offices of city and county assessors, county record, county auditor, and emergency services. It is information to assist with real estate transactions, voter registration, and who has jurisdiction over what. When he's not caught up in all that, Koch has also taken it upon himself to make sure scores of maps the county has in its possession are preserved in per perpetuity. Some date all the way back to 1858, not long after the founding of Sioux City itself. Though Koch didn't begin seriously archiving and preserving the documents until the 2010s, he was thinking about the need to do so as clearly as 2001, when anthrax attacks forced government offices in New Jersey to close for quarantining. The thought being, if anything like that happened here, what would we do? We wouldn't be able to get the information if it was contaminated and placed in quarantine, Koch said. So through a process of time and technology, we got to a point where we had the right equipment that I started scanning the documents. And the next area is called the process. Once Koch scans the materials with a machine the size of a table, he makes sure the info gets to sites such as beacon.schneidercorp.com, 
which allow people to view plats and public records through an online portal. The issue with digitizing, though, is old items are not only quite delicate, which requires extra tender loving care, but some will have ink drips on them or blank spaces where none should exist. You have edges and borders and whatnot that are basically falling off or falling apart. Electronically, I recreate the missing areas, Koch said. Preserving a piece called Pierce's Edition was a particular bear of a time for Koch. When it was first done, it had some holes right through the middle, and there were areas that were all tattered. But I was able to build back the areas that were missing, give it a decent border, and make it look good. Haley Aguirre, an archival records clerk for the Sioux City Public Museum, said how a map is preserved is often dependent on its condition and its size. For big documents, a process known as encapsulation is needed, where an archivist surrounds the map in a special kind of plastic akin to mylar. With the work, its important moisture isn't sealed in as that could rot the paper. When it comes time for storage, Agar said the maps shouldn't remain in light. Next part, next part is historicity. According to Aguirre, the Pierce Platte is of an area of Sioux City's north side. Pierce and a partner D.T. Hedges first laid it out in 1886, and it was the largest single edition ever platted in Sioux City. Aguirre said the specific document Coke worked seems to be from after 86 because there are parts shown to be vacated. The neighborhood was a major undertaking of grading hills, filling valleys, and establishing a cable car line on Jackson to navigate the hilly north side, Aguirre said. Some fine houses were built up there, some of which still remain. Mostly, it was the corner lots that were sold, and the spots in between were filled in later. According to Aguirre, Pierce lost, uh, lost it big in the panic of 1893 and left town but left behind his mansion at 29th and Jackson Streets. As for the August 1858 map Koch digitized, Aguirre said a banker named T.J. Stone submitted it to what was then the land office and costs were covered by Luther Sanborn. The Sioux City Company did not have the funds to survey and submit the plat themselves because they had gone practically bankrupt in the Panic of 1857, she said. Getting to the point of even having a plat for what's called Sioux City East Edition involved the combining of claims and French fur traders and a mess of railroad land grants and land bill laws, according to Aguirre. Despite the difficulties in working with such old fare, Koch said he enjoys the artistic flourishes someone wouldn't be able to find in present-day maps. They would embellish things with drawings of the Lewis and Clark Monument or the bluffs or part of the riverfront. Or it could just be areas of Art Deco type designs. Certain fonts, such as one for the Hornick and Skinner's subdivision of lots in Cole's addition to Sioux City, are stylized with points. Others, other drawings feature little critters. Aguirre and the Hornick edition is named for John Hornick, a wholesale druggist who came to Sioux City in 1867 and had his fingers in a whole lot of pies. 
Hornick was involved in everything from railroads to the corn palaces to the riverside brickyards, and this included real estate, she said. Koch's effort with the Hornick plat involved adding a border and highlighting blocks in yellow. The next section is called The Time It Took. All told, Koch said the actual scanning of the archives took about two or three years of wedging it in among regular duties. Then it took additional time to attach the images to existing maps so anyone could get online and bring up the original plats. They would need this information if they're out surveying and instead of having to drive in, they can get online, look at it right there, and get the information that's missing that they need out there in the field. It saves a lot of time and effort, Koch said. Up to this point, there's space to store more than 900 maps. When new plats come in, Koch tries to scan them the day they're recorded. With that many segments and that much data, it's a never-ending job of tweaking, he said. It shows several inset pictures on page A4. It shows a scan of the original and restored versions of a plat map of part of Sioux City, shown at the desk of Ron Koch, the Woodbury County map preservationist in the records office at the Woodbury County Courthouse. Another picture shows map preservationist Ron Koch examining an original map of Sioux City made in 1858, which is stored in the records office at the Woodbury County Courthouse in Sioux City back on January 17th of 2023. On the front page, it shows two pictures of Ron Koch, the Woodbury County map preservationist, shows one exam of him examining scanned images of historical maps and documents at his desk in the records office at the Woodbury County Courthouse in Sioux City on January 17, 2023. The large picture on the front page shows him uh, talking about the process of restoring the Hornick and Skinner subdivision of lots in Cole's addition to Sioux City made in 1892. Koch stands beside the scanner he used to digitize the original document in the records office at the Woodbury County Courthouse in Sioux City on January 17th, 2023. Next story on the front page, Governor Float's plan on school libraries. Reynolds says if one school removes a book, all schools should. This is by Aaron Murphy in Dateline Des Moines. If one Iowa school decides to remove a book from its library, all Iowa schools would be required to do the same under a proposal floated this week by Governor Kim Reynolds at an event hosted by a national group that advocates for parents' rights in public education. At the Thursday night event hosted by the group Moms for Liberty, Reynolds said under her proposal, educational material removed by any Iowa school district would be required to be removed by every district in the state. Groups like Moms for Liberty and its advocate members are pushing for public schools to not only be more transparent with curriculum and library materials, but for schools to remove library books and classroom materials that they find objectionable. Almost exclusively, the subject matter of the materials that are challenged have to deal with LGBTQ people or issues or discussions of race. During her remarks, Reynolds said there is a need, quote, to restore sanity to make sure our schools are a place of learning and not indoctrination, end quote. Quote, it's sad that any of this actually needs to be written into law, end quote, Reynolds said. 
Reynolds accused the, quote, radical left, end quote, of treating schools like, quote, their personal property, end quote, and asserted some educators believe patriotism is racist and that pornographic books are education. Reynolds was greeted with loud applause and multiple standing ovations by most of the roughly 200 people who attended, but her remarks were also interrupted at least a half dozen times by protesters who shouted while she was speaking. Each protester was escorted out of the auditorium by law enforcement officials. Quote, it is my job to keep your children safe, end quote, one protester yelled while being escorted out. Another, who on her way out of the auditorium toward the end of the event, sarcastically assured the audience that there are no litter boxes in Iowa schools. The comment was a reference to the widely debunked internet rumor that some schools have been placing litter boxes in bathrooms to accommodate students who wish to identify as cats. No actual evidence of this has ever been found in any schools. During a panel discussion and a, and a question and answer session that featured seven Republican state lawmakers, two legislators said they would like to move legislation that would create more spots for members of the public to serve on the state board that licenses and disciplines Iowa teachers and other educators. Currently, the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners is required by state law to include 12 members, two from the public, the State Education Department Director, and nine licensed practitioners. Representative Steve Holt, a Republican from Denison who has been active in advancing bills regarding public education transparency and curriculum requirements, pledged legislation to change how the Education Oversight Board is populated. Quote, we're going to put parents on the board of examiners, end quote, Holt said. Continuing his quote, we're going to change that system, end quote. Moms for Liberty is a national nonprofit issue advocacy organization that was founded in Florida. It mobilizes individuals around parents' rights and educations and trains candidates for political office, including local school boards. During the event, Reynolds and multiple state legislators highlighted the new $345 million state-funded private school financial aid package that Reynolds recently signed into law. Reynolds and other Republicans said the new state funding will help families find the Iowa school that they feel is best for their children. As long as they don't. Last story on the front page. Chinese balloon soars across U.S. Blinken scraps Beijing trip. This by Matthew Lee in Dateline, Washington. A huge, high-altitude Chinese balloon sailed across the U.S. on Friday, drawing severe Pentagon accusations of spying despite China's firm denials. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken abruptly canceled a high-stakes Beijing trip aimed at easing U.S.-China tensions. Fuzzy videos dotted social media sites as people with binoculars and telephoto lenses tried to find the spy balloon in the sky as it headed eastward over Kansas and Missouri at 60,000 feet. Blinken's cancellation came despite China's claim that the balloon was merely a weather research airship that blew off course. The Pentagon rejected that out of hand, as well as China's contention that the balloon about the size of three school buses, was not being used for surveillance and had only limited navigational ability. Quote, in light of Chinese unacceptable action, I am postponing my planned travel to China this weekend, end quote, Blinken said. 
He had been due to depart Washington for Beijing late Friday. He said he had not told senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi in a phone call, or excuse me, he said he had told senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi, uh, Wang Yi in a phone call that sending the balloon over the U.S. was, quote, an irresponsible act and that China's decision to take this action on the eve of my visit is a detriment is detrimental to the substantive discussions that we were prepared to have, end quote. The balloon was detected over sensitive military sites in Montana, but moved east over the heartland of the central United States and was expected to remain in U.S. airspace for several days, officials said. The development marked a new blow to already strained U.S.-Chinese relations. Still, U.S. officials maintained that diplomatic channels remain open, and Blinken said he remained willing to travel to China, quote, when conditions allow, end quote. Quote, we continue to believe that having, having open lines of communication is important, end quote, he said. President Joe Biden declined to comment on the matter when questioned at an economic event. Two 2024 re-election challengers, former President Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor and UN ambassador, said the U.S. should immediately shoot down the balloon. Biden was first briefed about the Chinese surveillance balloon Tuesday. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre told reporters this. She did not shed light on why the administration waited until Thursday to make its concerns public. A senior defense official said the U.S. prepared fighter jets, including F-22s, to shoot down the balloon if ordered. The Pentagon ultimately recommended against that, noting that even as the balloon was over a sparsely populated area of Montana, its size could create a debris field large enough to put people at risk. Brigadier General Pat Ryder, Pentagon Press Secretary, refused to say on Friday whether there was any new consideration of shooting down the balloon. He said it was an, at an altitude of about 60,000 feet, was maneuverable, and it changed course. He said Friday it posed no threat. As for Blinken's trip, Jean-Pierre said a diplomatic visit to China was not appropriate at this time. She said, quote, the presence of this balloon in our airspace is a clear violation of our sovereignty as well as international law and is, it is unacceptable this occurred, end quote. A State Department official said Blinken and Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman protested to the top official at the Chinese embassy on Wednesday, a day before the Pentagon announced the discovery of the balloon. Pentagon officials said Thursday that one of the places it was spotted was over Montana, which is home to one of America's three nuclear missile silo fields at Maelstrom Air Force Base. A number of GOP lawmakers criticized the administration for not taking firmer action against China before this. A decision for Blinken to proceed with his trip could have, could have made more Biden even more susceptible to their complaints as he deals with the new Republican-led U.S. House. Weather experts said China's claim that the balloon had gone off course was feasible. China's account of wind patterns known as the westerlies carrying a balloon to the western United States was, quote, absolutely possible, not possible likely, said, in quote, said Jan Jaffe, 
a professor of atmospheric chemistry at the University of Washington. Blinken's meetings with senior Chinese officials had been seen in both countries as a possible way to find some common ground at a time of major disagreements over Taiwan, human rights, China's claims in the South China Sea, North, Korea's, North Korea, Russia's war in Ukraine, trade policy, and climate change. Although the trip, agreed to in November by Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping at a summit in Indonesia, had not been formally announced, officials in both Beijing and Washington had spoken in recent days about Blinken's arrival for meetings on Sunday and Monday. The Chinese foreign ministry said the balloon was a civilian airship used mainly for meteorologic, meteorological research and had limited, quote, in quote, self-steering capabilities and, quote, deviated far from its planned course, in quote, because of winds. Quote, the Chinese side regrets the unintended entry of the airship into U.S. airspace due to force majeure, in quote, the statement said, citing a legal term used to refer to events beyond one's control. An inset picture on page A4 shows President Joe Biden meeting virtually with Chinese President Xi Jinping on November 15, 2021 from the Roosevelt Room of the White House in Washington as Secretary of State Antony Blinken, right, uh, Antony Blinken uh, listens. On the front page, it shows a picture of the high-altitude balloon balloon as it's floating Wednesday over Billings, Montana. It's a large white circular balloon about the size of three school buses. Underneath it, you can see uh, four, uh, uh, four across and two uh, rows of four across square-looking black cubes. Moving now to page A2. Man gets 30 years for attempted murder. This by Nick Hytrek in Dateline Sioux City. A Sioux City man's age at the time of a downtown shooting likely kept him from spending a longer time behind bars. Aaron Word, 19 years old, was sentenced Friday to 30 years in prison for the September 24, 2021 shooting of Trey Ellers during an altercation in the 200 block of Nebraska Street. A Woodbury County District Court jury found Word guilty at a September trial of attempted murder, willful injury, and going armed with intent. Word, who was 17 at the time of the shooting, avoided a longer mandatory minimum because he was a juvenile when he committed the crime. Had he been an adult, he would have received an automatic 17.5-year mandatory minimum on the attempted murder charge, which carries a 25-year prison sentence. District Judge Patrick Tott chose not to impose the mandatory minimum, but did order word to serve a mandatory minimum of five years on the 10-year sentence for willful injury. Tott ordered the sentences for attempted murder and willful injury to be served concurrently or at the same time, but consecutive to the five-year sentence of going armed with intent to arrive at the total sentence of 30 years. With the shorter mandatory minimum, Word will be eligible for parole sooner. Word had faced a maximum of 40 years in prison, a sentence his victim requested. Quote, you caused a lot of hurt in my family because of the choices you made. I hope your little sorry ass gets the maximum sentence, end quote, Edler said 
in a victim impact statement read by Assistant Woodbury County Attorney Michelle Venable Ridley. Before he was sentenced, Word apologized to Edlers and his family. Quote, I know I messed up, he said. I can't change that now, end quote. Ellers was trying to break up an attack on his sister when Word shot him once in the back and once in the chest with a handgun that police later determined had been stolen. Word, Joy Scott, and Miracle Walls had been in a vehicle following Ellers' sister's vehicle, eventually blocking her path on an access road behind the June E. Nyland Cancer Center. Once the car was stopped, Scott and Walls opened the woman's car door and assaulted her. Eller's sister had called him before she was stopped, and he arrived at the scene where he was shot. He said in his victim impact statement, he spent 19 days in the hospital recovering from his wounds. He still has bullet fragments in his body, he said. Word fled to Louisiana after the shooting, but returned to Sioux City a week later and turned himself in. Word's lawyer had argued at trial he acted in self-defense or the defense of others. Scott and Walls, both of Sioux City, have pleaded guilty to their role in the incident, and both were placed on probation. Next article, Omaha Woman Arrested in Explosion. This by Dolly A. Butts and Dateline Sioux City. An Omaha woman has been arrested on felony charges, including arson, in connection with an October shoplifting incident at Shields that involved an explosion. Jessica Katz, 40 years old, was arrested Thursday on charges of first-degree arson, a Class B felony, second-degree criminal mischief, a Class D felony, and fourth-degree theft, a serious misdemeanor. According to a criminal complaint filed in Woodbury County District Court, Katz and another woman entered Shields, 4400 Sergeant Road, at 7.03 p.m. on October 26th. The women grabbed a number of items from various departments in the store, including a dog collar and harness, three t-shirts, two pairs of jogger pants, and a pair of Air Jordan shoes. At 7.32 p.m., the other woman left the store and went out to a silver Mercury Mariner that was parked in the parking lot. After she returned to the store, the complaint stated that the woman grabbed a BB gun and gave it to Katz. The two women then separated with Katz going to the front display where she began organizing store merchandise and the other woman going to the bow section. Then the other woman removed a lighter and a small device with a fuse from the pocket of her hooded sweatshirt. She lit the fuse on fire and tossed the device onto a shelf before walking away, according to the complaint. A short time later, the device exploded, damaging shelving and merchandise. Dozens of employees and dozens more customers were in the store at the time of the explosion, according to the complaint. Katz exited the store, carrying the merchandise that she and the other woman had collected. The complaint stated that they did not pay for the merchandise before leaving the store. Katz dropped the dog harness before the women fled the scene in the Mercury Mariner. The stolen items totaled $562.97, according to the complaint. Katz is being held at the Woodbury County Jail in lieu of a $50,000 bond. Next story on page A2. Sioux City School District responds to lawsuit filed regarding claims made about the property. This by Caitlin Yamada in Dayline Sioux City. The Sioux City Community School District has responded to a lawsuit filed by former Iowa State Senator Richard Bertrand stating 
Many of his claims were false concerning buying land from near Unity Elementary. The defendant's response filed on Thursday also states Bertrand claimed he would use the land for farming, not development, when attempting to purchase the land and the district administration never indicated in favor of selling the land. They are requesting the lawsuit be dismissed. Bertrand, now a businessman and developer, filed a defamation lawsuit in early January against the school district. Greenwell and former district operations director Brian Ferrandholtz claiming comments made by the parties resulted in the loss over $7.9 million in profits. Bertrand claims he attempted to purchase five acres of unused land near Unity Elementary School, but the agreement was rescinded due to comments made by Ferenholtz and Greenwell, according to the court documents. He planned on converting the land into various housing developments. The suit claims Greenwell made comments, uh, the suit claims Greenville, Greenville uh, made comments calling Bertrand a thief and quote-unquote dirt devil, which resulted in the loss of development opportunities. According to the response filed by the district, Greenwell and Ferenholtz, Bertrand reached out to Troy Thomas, purchasing manager for the district, to inquire about the land. It states he wanted to use the land for farming. Bertrand was told to contact current operations director Tim Paul. The suit claims that Bertrand reached out to Paul in September 2022, expressing interest in purchasing the land. Bertrand claims Paul said he would support the purchase. The defendant's answer uh, document states Paul and Bertrand had two separate conversations where Bertrand claimed he wanted to use the land for farming because it was the quote-unquote missing piece to the family farm. It states Paul told Bertrand the land was not needed, but did not tell Bertrand he was in support of the potential purchase, and instead told Bertrand there was no interest in selling the property. It also states Paul informed Bertrand there is a set process that needs to be followed when the district sells land. The document states Bertrand was not happy with Paul's answer and, quote, got angry and demanded to speak with Paul's boss, end quote, according to the court document. The lawsuit claims interim superintendent Rod Earlywine met with Bertrand at Unity and indicated he was in favor of the sale of land to Bertrand. According to the response, Earlywine met with Bertrand at Unity but did not indicate he was in support of selling the land. Due to these two conversations, Bertrand states he entered into a letter of intent to sell some of the property to Roy Perry Construction for, the, for three apartment buildings. He also claims he began discussions with the city of Sioux City to develop 120 homes on the land and property he currently owns. The response document states there was, quote, never anything even remotely close to a pending sale, end quote. The district states the Finance and Facilities Committee met on December 5th, 2022, and they determined there was no interest in selling the property. Quote, furthermore, if Bertrand did indeed proceed with a letter of intent to sell land owned by the district, he did so out of either A, ignorance of Iowa law and the procedures for selling public land and contracting with a public entity, or B, out of arrogance that the law and procedures did not apply to him, end quote, according to the response. 
The district states early wine informed Bertrand of this, but he became, quote, upset and persisted that he should be allowed to purchase the land, end quote. Bertrand proceeded to contract Greenwell. The suit states during a phone call on January 2nd, Greenwell was not interested in selling the land to Bertrand. The response document agrees that Greenwell did speak with Bertrand and did say he was not interested in selling the land, but was not specific to Bertrand, uh, but because Greenwell feels the pr property makes a good buffer for the grade school and any development would create increased traffic volume and safety concerns. The suit also states Greenwell claimed he would not be, quote, muscled or bullied, end quote, by Bertrand, and was not, quote-unquote, drinking the Kool-Aid. The response states that Greenwell said he would not be, quote, bullied, end quote, or, quote-unquote, strong-armed due to Bertrand stating uh, he supported Greenwell in his election and should, should support the land, uh, land sale. It also states Greenwell was not, quote-unquote, drinking the Kool-Aid, in response to Bertrand stating he wanted to use, to use the land for farming. The suit states Greenwell claimed Bertrand had stolen dirt from the North High Outer Drive project and Greenwell was not interested in selling the land to the dirt devil who stole from the district, end quote. When asked where Greenwell had heard the claims, Bertrand was told Ferenholtz had made them starting in 2018. The response denies these claims. It states Greenwell said something similar to, quote, if you want to call yourself the dirt devil, go ahead, end quote. It denies that Greenwell claimed Bertrand stole from the district. After the call with Greenwell, Roy Perry Construction withdrew its offer to purchase due to potential litigation. Bertrand is suing the three entities for defamation and seeks full compensation for the $7.9 million loss in profits, he claims, came from the comments. All right, it's time now for the obituaries. We have four of them today. The first one from Lyons, Nebraska, Don Leroy Rose. That's R-O-S-E, Don Leroy Rose, born on November 5th, 1934 in Raymond, Nebraska, to Leslie R. Rose and Mary V. Chris Rose. He was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis and ended up in the hospital in June of 2022. He spent June of 2022 until January 24th of 2023, staying in Decatur, Nebraska with granddaughter Heather and Rob Grandiginet. He passed away Tuesday, January 31st, 2023 at Oakland Heights Nursing Home in Oakland, Nebraska at the age of 88 years. Services will be at 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday at the Gosler Funeral Home of uh, Chapel uh, Gosrell Funeral Home Chapel in Ottawa, Iowa, with Evangelist Dale Wolf officiating. A live stream of the service will be posted on the Gosler Funeral Home website with Don's obituary. Visitation will be an hour prior to the service at the Gosler Funeral Home Chapel. I'm sorry for the interruption. I had a bit of a glitch there. Re uh, returning to uh, Mr. Rose's obituary, services will be at 10:30 a.m. on Tuesday at the Gosler Funeral Home. Chapel in Ottawa with evangel uh, evangelist Dale Wolf officiating. A live stream of the service will be posted on the Gosler Funeral Home website with Don's obituary. Visitation will be an hour prior to the service at the Gosler Funeral Home Chapel. 
Per Don's wishes, cremation will occur after the funeral service. Burial of his ashes will be at 10 a.m. on Thursday, June 22nd at Hillcrest Cemetery in Decatur with military honors provided by the Roger Crumb Post No. 215 of Decatur. Arrangements are under the direction of Gosler Funeral Home and Monuments of Ottawa. Condolences may be left online for family at gosslerfuneralhome.com. Don attended school at Homer Public School in Homer, Nebraska from grades 1st through 3rd, Country School in Emerson, Nebraska from grades 4th through 7th, and South Sioux City Public School in South Sioux City from grades 8th until graduation. He graduated at 17 years old with perfect attendance all four years of high school in May of 1952. Don worked in accounting at Condon Motor Company in Sioux City for four years until he was drafted. Don was drafted into the United States Army in April of 1957 at Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. The sergeant asked if anyone could type, and Don raised his hand. Don made his own Army dog tags. He was then sent to Fort Hood, Texas for 16 weeks of basic training. While in the service, Don earned a clerical procedure certificate and typewriting certificate in 1957. He received a certificate for field maintenance, wheeled vehicles, and earned superior student. He earned a diploma in electrical accounting and machine repair. He was rewarded P2 pay. Don worked as a supply clerk and went to Germany with HQ Company, 2nd Armed Cavalry, 1st Sergeant Guy V. King from Sioux City. He ran the company for six months until Sergeant Harry V. Grant arrived as supply sergeant. Don served as wheel vehicle mechanic, armament uh, platoon sergeant, wheel track vehicle inspector, supply sergeant, IBM, and 1005 Univac computer repairman the 11 years he served. Don's military service gave him the opportunities for foreign travel to Austria, France, Germany, Luxembourg, Switzerland, England, and the Atlantic Ocean. Don was honorably discharged August 9, 1968. He continued his education after the military, receiving diplomas for machinist and air conditioning, heating and refrigeration from Western Iowa Tech Community College in Sioux City. Don was baptized Methodist on December 17, 1939. He became a member of St. John's Lutheran Church in Lyons on January 13, 1997. On January 30, 1982, Don married Pauline Jump Storm Maslanka Rose at Trinity Lutheran Church in Decatur with Reverend Warner officiating. Don and Pauline made their home in Dakota City. Pauline had seven children, Albert, Marilyn, Dwayne, Vicki, Howard, Douglas, and Curtis. After the service, Don was an office manager slash general manager of a sign and advertising company for seven years. He worked full-time at IBP Tyson for three years as a security guard while attending Witt Community College in Sioux City. Don worked at Mid-American Dairy Sioux City for three years. He even worked for the United States Postal Service for a short time in South Sioux City. Don was employed as a maintenance mechanic supervisor for 10 years at Grandview Health in Saint, or St. Luke's in Sioux City. He then became property manager for St. Luke's Hospital in his last five years of employment before retirement in 1997. He enjoyed the outdoors fishing, camping, and RVing. He had yearly fishing trips to Fort Randall Dam in South Dakota with Pauline's children. In 1997, upon his retirement, Don and Pauline moved from Dakota City to Lyons. Don took full advantage of the Lyons Library as he was an avid reader of Westerns and Christian fiction. 
He would have the library buy books for him that he wanted to read, and after reading, he would donate them to the library. The years spent in Lyons turned out to be the most enjoyable part of his life. Next one from Sioux City, Mary Pat Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. Mary Pat Thompson of Sioux City, 69 years old, died Thursday, February 2nd. Services will be February 7th. At 12.30 p.m. at Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel, burial will be at Calvary Cemetery. Visitation February 7th from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the funeral home. From Sioux City, Daryl Joseph Townley, T-O-W-N-L-E-Y. Daryl Joseph Townley, 99 years old, of Sioux City, died Wednesday, February 1st. Services will be February 6th at 10.30 a.m. at Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel. Burial will be at Calvary Cemetery. Visitation will be February 5th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the funeral home. And the last one for today uh, from Hull, Iowa. Fre- Frederick Haman or Hammond, H-A-M-A-N-N. Frederick Hammond or Haman, 79, died Wednesday, February 1st. A celebration of life will be February 6th at 1.30 p.m. at Memorial Funeral Home in Sioux Center. Visitation will be February 6th from 11 a.m to 1.30 p.m. at the funeral home. Moving now to some sports, and uh, the, there's a great inset picture on page A2 featuring some girls wrestling. It shows a picture, uh, a large picture of the uh, wrestling area and the stands surrounding it. It's the final matches at the inaugural Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union State a Girls State Wrestling Tournament as they get underway at Extreme Arena in Coralville Friday night, three Northwest Iowa wrestlers, Sioux City's North's Molly Seck, West Lions' Janet Tiwi, and Spencer's Olivia Huckfelt were set to compete in state individual championships. That was the inset picture on page A2. On the front part of the sports section, this thing is pretty much all of it. So we'll start with the uh, big picture and the big... Uh, Article title, Hopes Fall Short for North's Molly Sack. And then underneath Ridgeview's Shepherd Deeds Finish Fifth. This is by Dave Driesen and Dateline Coralville. While Molly Sack's bid for a state title came up short Friday night, the Sioux City North Junior took solace in all that she accomplished during Iowa's first sanctioned all-girls wrestling tournament. I made history of being part of the finals for Sioux City, and I'm just super proud of that, Sex said shortly after losing in the championship match at 125 pounds to undefeated Molly Allen of Riverside. That's something that I'll never, ever forget, making my community, my family, and my parents proud. Two other Iowa area, two other area wrestlers, uh, West Lions' Janet Tiwi, the number one seed at 190 pounds, and Spencer's Olivia Huckfelt, the top seed at 190 pounds, were set to wrestle for state titles later Friday night at Extreme Arena in Coralville. Results of the matches were too late for the journal's print deadline. Two other area wrestlers secured medals by placing in the top eight or higher in the fifth place match Friday night. Ridgeview Juniors' Tatum Shepard and Izzy Deeds both won fifth place matches Friday night. Shepard pinned Odessa Liebfried of Belleville, Bellevue, excuse me, and Deeds won a 6-3 decision over Lauren Luzum of Decorah. Earlier in the day, Spencer Shaley Sutherland placed 7th at 135 pounds. Sutherland, 42-8, won by fall over Benton Community's Lizzie Wolf, 39-12. 
Sack, 34 and 4, moved into the championship match at 115 pounds after winning two more matches Friday. In the quarterfinals, Sack upset number two seed Addison Mooser of Anamosa, recording a fall at 142. Mooser, a junior, came into the match with a 44 and 2 record. In the semifinals, Sack won a technical fall over West Liberty's Sylvia Garcia Vasquez. In the finals, Sack faced a nemesis in the number one seeded Allen, who also defeated her a championship match in Region 2 at the Tyson's Event Center on January 27th. Allen, 26-0, dominated the regional match, winning by technical fall 20-4. On Friday night, Allen won by fall at 4:43. She's got really good talent, Sack said of Allen, but she vowed to work even harder in a bid to turn the tables the next time they would happen to meet. I have a lot of things to work on, she said. Next year, I'm ready to come back and not be a runner-up anymore, but be a state champion. Earlier in the day, Terwee, uh, 21-1, won by a 4-0 decision over Spencer's Kaylee Natchtegal in the quarterfinals and recorded a fall over Rachel Eddy of Independence in the semifinals. Huckfelt, 44-0, won by fall over Boone's Clara Carpenter in the quarterfinals and by fall over Missouri Valley's Jocelyn Buffman in the semifinals. Ridgeview's Shepard and Deeds both lost in the semifinals and then in the consolation semifinal round. Wilton's Hannah Rogers, 32-7, pulled out a tight 9-7 decision over Shepard, 47-4 in the semifinals. Shepard, a junior, who recorded her 100th career high school victory at the regional in Sioux City last month, then lost in the consolation semifinals by fall, to Ames Alexis Winky, 30-6. Who's 30-6. Deeds, 23-3, lost in a 145-pound semifinal by fall to Logan Magnolia's Nancy Bowman, 28-7. The junior then lost a tight 3-1 decision to Gilbert's Alex Harswick, 32-5, in a consolation semifinal. Unlike other IGHSAU-sanctioned sports, girl wrestlers compete in a single class regardless of enrollment. Below are the latest results involving journal circulation wrestlers at the girls' state tournament. In the 100 pounds, Constellation Round 2, Haley Kemper, Fort Madison 20-10, won by fall over Olivia Mack from East Sac County 17-4. There are so many of these, I might not go through all of them. Uh, Constellation Round 2, Isabel Ikan Ridgeview won by decision over Arona Preston. Constellation Round 3, Elizabeth Elliott won by fall over Isabel Aiken of Ridgeview. In the 105, Constellation Round 2, Chloe Sheffield of Decorah won by fall over Emerson Kelderman, Central Line, George Little Rock. In the Constellation Round 2, Alexis Colbert uh, of Osage won by decision over Kira Hennessis of Lamar's. Uh, 110-pound range. Constellation Round 2, Morgan Crawl of Independence won by decision over Josie Lennon, Sergeant Bluff Luton. In the 115-pound range quarterfinal, Molly Seck won by fall over Addison Mooser uh, of Anamosa. In the semifinal, Molly Seck of Sioux City North won by tech fall over Sylvia Garcia Vasquez of West Liberty. In the 120-pound, Constellation Round 2, Ava Stra uh, Scranton, Anamosa won by fall over Kendra Berglund of Sergeant Bluff-Luton. Constellation Round 2, Lexa Rosevink of Ames won by fall over Cora Shute of Sioux Center. In 125 pounds, quarterfinal, 
Tatum Shepard of Ridgeview won by fall over Odessa Liebfried of Bellevue. Semifinal, Hannah Rogers Wilton won by decision over Tatum Shepard. And consolation semi, Alexis Winky of Ames won by fall over Tatum Shepard. In the 135 quarterfinal, Alexi, Alexis Ross of Fort Dodge won by major decision over Shaley Sutherland of Spencer. Consolation round four, Shaley Sutherland of Spencer won by fall over Annalisa Arkinega of Osage. In consolation round five, Dana Cleveland of Ankeny won by decision over Shaley Sutherland. In seventh place match, Shaley Sutherland of Spencer over Lizzie Wolf of Benton Community. In the 140 pound, uh, consolation round two, Cadence Bourne of Wilton won by decision over Eunice Rena of MOC Floyd Valley. That's Eunice Rena Yolk of MOC Floyd Valley. Consolation round two, Emily Waters of Anamosa won by fall over Avery Ballas of Okaboji HMS. Uh, Consolation round two, Andalyn Kabalka of East Buchanan won by fall over Elisa Schnur of Sheldon South O'Brien. The 145-pound quarterfinal, Isabella Deeds Ridgeview won by fall over Nancy Bowman of Logan Magnolia. The semifinal, Emma Peach of Iowa Valley Marengo won by fall over Isabella Deeds. Um, In the Consolation semi, Alex Hardwick of Gilbert won by decision over Isabella Deeds. In the 155 Consolations Round 2, Sadie Skolbrock of Crestwood, Cresco, won uh, by fall over Casey Huss of MOC Floyd Valley. In the 170-pound quarterfinal, Libby, of, uh, Libby Dix of Mount Vernon won by decision over Louise Meyer of Central Lion George Little Rock. Consolation Round 4, Maya Fritz of Dallas Center Grimes won in the ultimate tiebreaker over Louise Meyer. Consolation round two, Adelie Miller of MOC Floyd Valley won by decision over Rory Cook of Boone. Consolation round three, Adelie Miller won by major, major decision over Dania, uh, Dania Werner of Ridgeview. Consolation round four, Bella Porcelli of Southeast Polk won by fall over Adelie Miller. In consolation round two, Daniel Werner won uh, by fall over Ellie Callahan. 190 pounds, quarterfinal, Jaina Turwi of West Lyon won by decision over Kaylee Natchgall of Spencer. In the semifinal, Jaina Turwi, West Lyon won by fall over Rachel Eddy of Independence. Consolation round four, Cameron Steins of Decorah won by decision over Kaylee Natchgall of Spencer. And consolation round two, uh, Chloe Hefner of Prairie Cedar Rapids won by fall over Maya Waldo of Ridgeview. The 235-pound category, quarterfinal, Olivia Huckfeld of Spencer won by fall over Clara Carpenter of Boone. In the semifinal, Olivia Huckfeld won by fall over Jocelyn Buffum of Missouri Valley. In consolation round two, Dick Kaylee G. Young of Boyden Hull Rock Valley won by fall over Ellen Gerlock of Swat Valkyrie. In consolation round three, Kaylee DeYoung won by fall over Sierra, uh, Sierra Hutton, Hutton Speaker of Interstate 35. In Constellation Round 4, Allison Crum of East Buchanan won by fall over Kaylee DeYoung. Uh, that was due to a fall. It shows several inset pictures. A big one on page B4 showing Ridgeview's Izzy Deeds winning, winning the uh, fifth place match at 145 pounds over Decorah's Laura Lutzum at the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union's first state girls wrestling tournament Friday night. On page B1, front page of the sports section, it shows uh, an inset picture of Ridgeview's Tatum Shepard raising her hand for the referee after winning the fifth place match at 125 pounds at the Iowa Girls 
High School Athletic Union's first state tournament with a pin over Odessa Liebfried of Bellevue. And the big picture on the front of the sports pages shows Sioux City North's Molly Sack locking up with Riverside's Molly Allen in the mat- championship match at 115 pounds at the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union's first state wrestling tournament Friday night in Coralville. Sack finished in second place. Due to time constraints, I might not finish this next article, but it's a good little one. Bruns breaks DV scoring mark. Isaac Bruns, 46 points, edges brother Paul's prior record. This by Dave Driesen and Eight Line Elk Point. Breaking his older brother's school record for most points in a game, Dakota Valley senior Isaac Bruns exploded for a career-high 46 points as the top-ranked Panthers overcame a slow start to cruise past rival Elk Point Jefferson 80-63 Thursday night. Bruns, the reigning South Dakota Class A Player of the Year, finished 17 of 27 from the field, including 3 of 5 from beyond the three-point stripe. He also nailed 9 of 12 free throws. His older brother Paul set Dakota Valley's previous scoring record with 44 points against Sioux Falls Christian on January 27th of 2021. Paul Bruns now plays at the University of South Dakota, and Isaac is committed to join him on the Coyotes roster next season. Senior point guard Randy Rosenquist, a returning first-team All-State selection, dished out a team-high 12 assists in Thursday's win, many of them to his backcourt running mate Bruns. Jackson Henney's added 11 points, and Jackson Wingard had 10 for the Panthers, who stayed unbeaten, improving to 13-0. The Panthers trailed the Huskies 20-14 at the end of the first quarter. Dakota Valley rallied in the second stanza to take a 36-35 lead at halftime. The Panthers took control in the second half, outscoring EPJ 23-18 in the third quarter and 21-10 in the final period. Okay, now moving to Dear Abby. The first letter today is Feeling Shunned on the West Coast, and the title is One Night Stand Leads to Awkward Social Situation. Dear Abby, during a trip to Las Vegas, I kind of had a one-night stand. I'm in a relationship. I felt bad afterward. Problem is, I started having feelings for this guy, Leo. We would message back and forth more on my end than his. I guess you could say I was hung up on him. I have since mended my relationship with my partner. My issue is, Leo is best friends with my best friend's husband. When he visits, I am excluded, which means I can't hang out with her. I tell her we are all adults who are not in high school and can be in the same room with each other. It's not fair to me. Are my feelings justified? Any advice advice signed feeling shunned on the West Coast? Dear feeling, this isn't all about your feelings. You stated that you feel you could be in the same room with your best friend, her husband, and Leo socially. Hasn't it occurred to you that Leo may not be as open-minded about that fling as you are? Seeing you may make him feel guilty. This may be a case of what happens in Vegas, not only staying in Vegas, but also having repercussions. See your best friend when Leo isn't around. Next letter is from Fearing the Worst in Ohio. Dear Abby, last year my my dear hubby went to the doctor for back pain. Within a week he had been diagnosed with incurable cancer. He's in treatment and we hope... He will have a long remission, but it's been a very stressful year filled with health issues. I am now due for my annual checkup, and I am extremely anxious about it. I'm no spring chicken. I have some issues, high blood pressure, overweight, and I'm terrified she will tell me something awful is wrong. I've been crying for a week now, and I'm almost to the point of canceling my appointment. How do I overcome this extreme anxiety sign, fearing the worst, in Ohio? 
Dear Fearing, you may be having extreme anxiety because with a sick husband, you are living with extreme pressure. Pick up that phone, tell your physician exactly what's going on, and ask, ask her to prescribe something to calm your nerves before the appointment. Under no circumstances should you cancel it because you're afraid of what you might hear. If anything is wrong, it's important to nip it in the bud before it progresses. One last letter from Confidential in Indiana. Dear Abby, I have been on phone calls recently with a married friend when the spouse will suddenly chime in without my knowing they were listening. There are times when I want a conversation to be private with only one person. What's the polite way to make this happen in a world of speaker phones? Signed, Confidential in Indiana. Dear Confidential, the way to handle it is to tell the married person you would like to know if someone is within earshot because you want your conversation to be private. And if it happens again, convey sensitive information to that person only face to face. One last look at the weather. Not as cold today. Going to be pretty decent. High of 36 degrees. Wind south-southwest at 6 to 12 under partly cloudy skies. Clear to partly cloudy tonight. A low of 35 degrees. Winds west-northwest at 7 to 14. On Sunday, partly cloudy. Well, mostly sunny. Just a few clouds to make the sky interesting. I suppose high of 37 degrees for Sunday. And winds west-northwest at 6 to 12 miles an hour. 28 shall to be the low on Sunday night under mostly cloudy skies and cloudy most of the time Monday high of 39 winds south-southwest at 6 to 12. Monday night's low of 25 degrees under clearing skies and then sunny on Tuesday high of 40 degrees and winds west at 7 to 14. A low of 19 Tuesday night under clear skies and partly sunny and mild on Wednesday a high of 44 degrees and east-southeast winds at 6 to 12 miles per hour. That does it for the reading of the Sioux City Journal for today, Saturday, February 4th, 2023. For the last hour, the stories have been selected and read by me, John Reef. All material heard on Iris is intended solely for the use of the blind and print handicapped. If you have any uh, questions, call Iris toll free at 877-404-4747. We thank you for listening to Iris, your radio reading service.